Hey everyone, welcome back to the Small Town Nerdcast. I'm your host, Brian, and today we have an awesome interview for you with uh, writer and artist Monty Nero and his book, Death Sentence Liberty. Uh, Unfortunately, the Kickstarter is over now, but fortunately, it was successful, uh, very successful, so really cool stuff. He's a fun guy to talk to, and unfortunately, I do not give him an intro when we uh, start recording. We just start having a conversation, and I completely, completely forgot about it. So here we are with this little bit of audio, Um, but Monty was a lot of fun to have. And unfortunately, near the end, I think the mic starts getting a little weird on his end. I don't know if it was what kind of mic he was using, like, because during the recording, we were having a great time and I could hear everything. But uh, on playback, I noticed some issues. So um, just kind of keep that in mind. But it's a great interview. We have a lot of fun to talk about some things. I don't want to spoil what we talk about now, but it's definitely worth a listen. So uh, without further ado... Here is comic book writer and artist, award-winning comic book uh, writer and artist, Monty Nero. Yeah, man. Well, how you been? Yeah, busy. Very busy, but uh, good. It's all good. You know, it's better to be busy than not busy, isn't it? All right. I would, I would love to be a lot busier. <laughs> what, what are you doing uh, these days? Oh, man. Just trying to get by, it seems like, you know. Yeah. Um, I have a job that I work and then I try to do this on the side to, yeah, you know, my passion, trying to get the passion yeah. going. Yeah. Whereabouts do you live? So we live in Texas. Cool. Yeah. So probably about an hour outside of Houston is where I live, Houston, Texas. So. Oh, okay. I've been, trying to find a, I've been trying to find a good comic printer in Texas for ages, but there doesn't seem to be any. Oh, and what were you looking for again? Uh, someone to print my comics in Texas. Oh gosh, yeah. Um, it's so hard to find anyone. Um, that surprises me because you know America is a very entrepreneurial country. You'd think there'd be people queuing up to print comics in Texas. Oh man, you think people would be going left and right to kind of do this kind of stuff? But for whatever reason, man, it's like. I don't know, man. Maybe it's because there's a lot of backwards pe- thinking people here. Who knows? Well, it's good of you to fly the flag in uh, in uh, Texas. <laughs> um, man, I don't know. It, it's harder, especially in my area, because uh, you fly any kind of flags that ain't what other people agree with. <laughs> you gotta be careful. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, yeah. yeah it, it's tough being a nerd in a small town, man, and liking geeky things in the small town. But really? uh, yeah, but you find you know you find like your niche. You find kinship with other people. Yeah. So I, I feel like those bonds are stronger. Yeah, yeah, that's great, and uh, the podcast obviously helps with that a lot. So that's cool. Um, oh yeah. I always worry, though, you know, you, you have those people that come out in conversations like, oh, well, I have a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm always scared to sound like one of those kind of people uh, when I 
Uh, like I'm almost terrified to bring it up in conversations. Yeah, I know what you mean, but you you doing good work. You could be proud. Um, right. Quite different to Scotland. Um, because Scotland's quite remote, and um, traditionally, you know, the outside of the major cities, it's like quite quite um, backwards, really, in lots of ways. Um, lots of farming, and it's just a very empty country. You know, with a lot of um, very difficult to get about. You know, very hilly. So um, you'd think it would be similar to what the situation you're describing, but I think in the last 20 years, there's just been a huge shift. And now it's just like totally normal to be a nerd and to be into comics and all that sort of stuff. And most people that you see, even in like remote villages or towns, they're sort of like, you know, clearly resting you know, into this kind of culture. And then when you have these comic cons, in like really quite small towns in Scotland, they're just absolutely mobbed with comic fans. They're all just like come from, you know, all the neighbouring sort of villages and towns. And it's a really yeah. good scene and they're all very uh, accepting of each other. That sounds fantastic, man. Yeah, but that's really changed over the last 20 years. So you might see something similar happening there, maybe. Right. And, you know, I would love for something like that. I think ultimately that's kind of one of my goals. Um, for my small town is to try to get something because I know there are people here. I know there are kids here. And I mean, I always say we live in a small town, but our population is still over 10,000. Yeah. So I know there are others like me, you know, Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's just my, my town has never had that push for something like a comic book convention no. and Actually, just recently, a town next to ours hosted their own, and uh, I got a chance to go, got a chance to be a part of it and see how they do things. And um, I was trying to get some people from my town and to get involved, like people who plan events and stuff so that they could see this, because I think it's like you said, you know, even in smaller towns, uh, it's more common to find someone who's also i mean you have stuff like marvel movies dc movies comic books uh that people can get now easier because they're online and just they're hitting everyday mainstream you know netflix is putting out every kind of show yeah that even even from like smaller publishers you know so i think it's more widely known and more common so i would i would love to be able to bring something like a Comic-Con, no matter how small, yeah. to this town. Because I think it would be fantastic, man. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. What's but anyway, what's, what's up? What's the name of your town? Oh, so we're called uh, Bay City. Bay City. Yeah, so, and like I said, we're about an hour outside of Houston. So, honestly, Houston puts on great conventions. And so, whenever I get the chance, I always... Uh, make my way there i think it has probably the largest comic book convention in texas mm -hmm. and so it, it's always a fantastic time Ooh. yeah yeah awesome but enough about enough about me man let's uh talk about mr monty man um for i mean one we've been trying to get to each other it feels like this is two months in the making now. Yeah. <laughs> a a successful Kickstarter has come and gone since uh, we've been talking. And so I'm sorry I couldn't 
get to you before, but uh, congratulations on getting your Kickstarter funded, man. Yeah, thanks. No, there's no worries. Um, I mean, there'll be another one along in a few weeks, so. <laughs> oh, well, see, there you go. Now we can start, like, pre-promoting. Yeah, I'm always making something. So, uh, yeah, if anyone's interested in in that, just drop me a line or, um, you know, on that social media, message me or, um, or look at the back of kit. There's always a back of kit shop where you can buy this stuff. Nice. And so for this recent Kickstarters for your book, uh, Destinance Liberty, which is uh, the third story in a set of three or is yeah, how, the third how... book. So each book is about 160 pages. Um, and uh, this is the third story. And they're all, you can read them all individually, but they also, you know, tell an ongoing story across uh, the, three, the three books. So, um, yeah, they're, they're all, um, they're all uh, interlinked. It's really cool, man. And from what I could gather quickly on this uh, when I was reading through everything, uh, so it's these people that are getting superpowers, but at a pretty interesting cost. Uh, is it? Can you kind of explore more into like what the book's about? Yeah, like so, yeah. so um, it's like about an artist, uh, a musician and a sort of movie star and um, they all contract this virus that gives them these extraordinarily weird abilities but uh, they've only got six months to live from when they can contract the virus so they've only got six months to fulfill themselves and figure out what they want to do with their lives um, it's obviously quite an intense situation and uh, it's very impact um obviously with their uh, strange powers they become sort of very desirable and uh, a lot of people want to uh, capture them and, and so on and so forth um but what it really does uh underlying all that and what makes it kind of emotional and relatable is we're kind of all in a situation where we've only got a certain amount of time with which to do whatever we want to do in our lives and uh, it might be creative, it might be personal, you know, it might be family, it might be, um, you know, some, some great impossible goal that you want to achieve at some point in your life, it might be a small thing that you want to do. Um, and we have, like, you know, the span of our lives to, to sort of try and do that and figure out how to do that. And what this does is it kind of condenses it all into a really intense sort of six-month period that's kind of very passionate. Um, it makes it very dramatic because uh, they're all running out of time. So, um, yeah, it's got a lot to it. And um, I think it's quite reviewed. It's all reviewed really, really well. Um, so I think that's why it's just a lot of kind of, there's a lot of action in it. But there's also a lot of emotional kind of resonance and truth to it. Definitely, man. And I will say, for me, I'm in my mid-30s now, or coming into my mid-30s. Nothing hits more to close, like nothing hits closer to home than feeling like time is running out now. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. you, you start to ha when I have a son now, and he's getting older and just moving yeah. up through school. And at some point, you kind of think to yourself, like, 
you start to think about what you've done in your past. Like, oh, I used to be like this in high school or I used yeah. to do this kind of stuff. Yeah. Where did that go? Why am I wasting what talents I used to have? And yeah, maybe that's like why this I'm just shouting out into the void with this podcast is like I'm trying not to let it all die. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think I think that's very true. And I think everyone feels like that on some level. And I was, uh, I came up with the idea and manically, it's one thing having the idea, isn't it? But then what drives you to actually make the comic? So, so what uh, the situation I was in was that um, my wife, um, you know, we got pregnant and we've been trying to have a child for a while, so we were really excited. Um, but then suddenly it felt like, oh, I've only got like nine months or seven months, you know, just until I find out. Um, to find out to, and to do whatever I'm going to do, you know, creatively or comic-wise, which isn't, you know, if you're doing a comic, an independent comic, that's not like a, that's not a business proposition. That's just, <laughs> you're likely to lose money doing that. So, so, but I really just had this burning desire to make this comic and to do a comic and to do my own comic, you know, to do something that was sort of just very much my thing, that was my personality and stuff. Um, and I thought, like, well, if I don't do it now, I'm never going to do it because in my mind, once I'd had, um, once I became a dad, you know, I'd have to be very responsible and earn money and get a normal job and <laughs> all that boring crap that comes with fatherhood. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's side of it. So, um, I mean, don't get me wrong, I was like massively excited and proud and just, it's all I wanted. I'd wanted to be a dad for, you know, as long as I can remember, I was really happy about it. Oh, but right, also, man. There's also this other pressure. I just thought, like, well, if I don't do a comic now, I'm never going to do it. So I literally just really set about it in a determined way. And it's kind of like a, a microcosm of the characters in the story because my dream was to make a comic, and I had, like, six months to make a comic before it felt to me like that would be, like, my time would be up as far as that kind of thing. Um, and, of course, what turned out was... The comic was really successful and uh, it made quite a lot of money and um, you know it's about as successful as an independent comic could be at that time so so um ended up getting picked up by a major publisher and published around the world and it got uh, picked up by a french publisher and published around you know the french-speaking world and and um it became this thing and i I realized that I didn't actually have to stop doing this. I could keep on making comics and still support <laughs> my family. And I was just like, oh, this is like brilliant. You know, it couldn't have worked out any better. And it was like the last thing I was expecting when I made the comic, I was just expecting to make a comic, lose money, and to at least have said, like, here is my comic. This is like how I would do a comic if I had a chance, you know, to have something that was like purely representative of you know, my sort of take on comics. Um, so, so yeah, that's, and I think all that passion and fear and, uh, emotion kind of transmuted itself into the characters in the comic and they feel very different. They feel very similarly about their thing, whether it's to be an artist or to be a musician or to be a, a sort of movie star or a comedian. Mm -hmm. And I mean, you said it and I felt the same way when my wife was pregnant, like nothing is quite as scary as nature's natural timers man and uh yeah but it, it, you know it's so awesome to hear you know being able to 
here you go to like a, a passion project or just like something that you've wanted to do and it works out, you know, and it, and it goes so well, but I think, you know, a lot of people write close to home and it seems like these characters are very similar or have, uh, ties to, to your, you personally and your personality. Um, and I love that it's it has to deal with artists and stuff like that. You know, a lot, a lot of stories and especially when it comes to like super heroics and things like that, you know, they're people maybe not from an artistic background all the time. They're, they got something else going on with them or. Yeah, I don't know. I think for me, it's one of the problems with superhero comics. One of the things I don't like about them, you know, I love superhero comics, but. One of the things I don't like about them is the characters are often set of powers with a sort of very basic personality. They don't actually have kind of what I call a real life or real passions or family or the sort of, you know, crushes that most of us relate to. It's all to do with right? work and family and, um, you know, trying to get by in the wider world. Um, in the case of, you know, crazy, crazy stuff that might happen, like, you know, so um, they become a lot of superheroes just become these kind of cycles um, and they're entertaining you know but they're basically just um, powers with a bit of a personality sort of on top um, and when I like when I've written sort of like the X-Men or the Hulk or something I've always tried to make them kind of rounded real people in the real world that had a sort of real kind of situation going on and also, you know, delivery of awesome stuff that we love about the Hulk and we love about the X Men, you know, Wolverine or whatever. You know, he's got to get the claws out. He's got to be some snick moment. He's got to be, you know, some uh, some some sort of um, Tim Eastwood type um, situation where he sort of like squares up to somebody. You've got to have all these elements, but you got to bring it alive in some way. And right. I, I find that the best way to do that is just to think like, well, how do I make these real people and how, if they were a real person that I knew, like in most street, and they had to be very real, you know, at the same time. Yeah. What would that actually be like? And, and uh, you can sort of make it a lot more relatable. Um, one of my favourite uh, stories that I wrote uh, from Adam was a little story. It's got the shortest one I did for them, actually. It's called um, Why I Love the Actor. And um, it's in the back of um, X-Men Gold Onion. I think it's the back of the X-Men Gold Onion. And uh, yeah, it just sort of tries to express what I love about um, the X-Men and Storm in particular. And um, who the eyes of this sort of like young girl who kind of is um, an orator and uh, trying to like meet her goes at a storm goes about the city doing you know what a day is day in the life of these superheroes is like they're just battling these huge monsters and buildings are getting destroyed and there's this incredibly action-packed storyline going on but at the same time it's all just about how this young kind of girl feels about um wanting to meet storm and trying to catch up with her in every crazy situation um and again it's got like a really nice emotional pull to it at the centre, and I think if you don't make uh, these characters relatable in that way, then they don't really work for me. Uh, it's just like a very 
just become just a miasma of special effects, and it gets a bit <laughs> me. It gets a bit samey and a bit boring. Just become CGI monsters on the screen, man. Yeah, yeah, they all follow the same formula. A massive object falls out the sky and crashes at the end. Or right. like a big CGI battle with two characters at the end. You know, and it's got to have that emotional uh, free line that makes you actually care about the characters at that point. Otherwise, it's just a lot of expensive stuff. Yeah. And I mean, you you mentioned it already. I was going to bring it up, but man, getting to write for Marvel, and I think uh, I read you wrote some DC stories, and like getting to do stuff like that, and especially the X Men, I, I think like yeah, you hit the nail on the head there. They're so it's so much more than just super heroics when it comes to the X Men. It, it's yeah. so emotional yeah yeah almost like almost like family like we've known these characters so long and seen them sort of grow and change in different kind of situations throughout the year yeah uh, yeah they're like they're like a family to us they're like a distant family you know you probably feel more affectionately for beast than you do for like one of your uncles you know (laughs) right (laughs) you probably probably see beast more and he's kind of like more genial and affable but yeah uh, but um, maybe that's just my um, No, man. That's... So, so um, yeah, they're kind of like distant families to you, and they're kind of like family to each other. But I think finding those uh, emotional connections between the characters and how their friendship works and what they mean to each other and what it means to actually be a person who deals with those kind of powers in that kind of situation in a real world setting or I don't mean I'm, I'm not into like I don't try to make things realistic like too just realistic not just like equally dull but it's just having enough emotional truth to it that we can relate to these incredible situations and that when we have these incredible battles we, we actually feel sort of the, the characters we really care about yeah, yeah that's the truth. now how is that though um when versus tackling your own book versus coming to something like a Marvel book? Like, do you have a different mindset? Is there something else that maybe, do you look for inspiration in other ways? Or do you try to maybe not make it so close to your own material that you put out? Um, Well, I think it depends on what you're allowed to do. So um, what I found was when I was doing these kind of like as annual stories and things, because they weren't like big kind of narratives that would dominate in you know, the sort of um, book, um, they, they, um, they were quite happy for me to do my own thing. And I really enjoyed that, because then um, the, and the more they let me do my own thing, the better the stories got, and uh, the more the X-Men readers kind of liked them. So, so um, I think... Uh, that's the way to do it. And I think if I did, uh, it wasn't, um, it, was, it, was, it was very fortuitous that I got to do that. And I understand how lucky I am and was to have been asked to write the X-Men if write that book. Um, so I don't take it lightly at all. But at the same time, I don't, the whole reason why, like, it comes back to that thing I said at the beginning, but the whole reason why I wanted to do a comic was to sort of express kind of my take on it. And, um, I feel the same way about if I'm going to write an X-Men narrative or a Batman narrative or whatever it might be. 
I only want to do it if I can do my take on it. Right. Um, and if I can't have the independence and the freedom to do that, then I'd rather not do it. I don't, I don't, if it's just a matter of earning money by writing something, then, you know, there's other ways I can earn money that are, um, you know, probably more satisfying for me. So, so, um, I want to do it in a way that kind of like is just kind of, kind of unique to me and true to my vision for how comics should be done and how that kind should be done. So right. I, think, I think in order to do that, I think um, you've got to have quite a bit of kind of pull and sway and you've got to uh, be able to basically say no to the editor. So the situation when you're pitching stuff to those kind of companies is they're very much like, well, we've got like, a thousands of people that would love to write this story. So why should we go along with what you want to do? So, so you, know, <laughs> you do what we want to do, and then and then you say thanks for letting us let you do that. So, and that's perfectly fair enough, you know, because that's the genuine situation they're in. So that's fine. Um, but I don't, I don't want to. I, I just, I just want to be true to myself. So I think. What I've, what I've done since I did those initial stories is I've just concentrated on my own comics and my own things. Right. And I've just kind of been building those up and um, getting to a stage where, you know, I can just sort of cut them to be, um, you know, kind of living from my own comics. And then that means that if I, if I do it, uh, I'm lucky enough in the future to do anything with those companies, I can sort of say, Yes or no to them, and I can sort of say, Look, I'll do this, but I'm not interested in doing that because that's just not to me a good comic. So, so, um, and I think the reason why you see a lot of very underwhelming comics put out by those big companies is because everyone's just kind of like earning a living and kind of just trying to do the best they can in the circumstances they've got, and um, you get some absolutely brilliant comics sometimes from some brilliant writers and artists um, mm-hmm. and, and um, those are guys that have the kind of clout to sort of say look I'm doing it like this and if you don't like it then <laughs> I'll go and do something else and they go okay great because you know they want to work with that guy because they're so sort of talented and successful that they can, they can have that kind of situation so right. yeah, and I, I mean I'm, not, I'm just a, I'm just a independent comic creator who got very lucky to write any stories for those companies in the first place. So I don't have any kind of clout at this stage of my career. So I'm just trying to like build up my own comics to, to, to give me a bit more independence going forward. Well, I'd say you have more than you think, man. Um, <laughs> and, and your books are you're, it's a really awesome read. They look fantastic, by the way, as well. Uh, props to your artist on all that. Um it's just, man, it, it's fun to think, though, nowadays, I, I feel like more and more people start independently, and it feels yeah. like it's a bit easier now than it, it than it used to be to try to get a book out, get images out, get people, get buzz going for your your stuff, whereas... Yeah. It is, it's much easier to make a comic, and there's no way you can make a comic you know, but comics funded and stuff that you never used to be able to do in the past, which is fantastic. But the flip side of that is if you're new to this and you're starting, there's just so many people making comics now 
Um, it's it's <laughs> harder to get noticed. When I when I made Death Sentence, which is ten years ago now, um, the fact that I'd made a comic that was good and looked professional, it was like pretty amazing. And you know, if I if I showed it to anybody, they were like, "Oh wow, let's have a look at this." So I would just sort of wave it under the nose of like an editor at a big company, and they go like, "Wow, that looks great." Yeah, let's do this. Um, and I don't think that happens now because I think there's just so many independent comics that look really professional that um, I don't think there's that same interest from you know editors and big companies about just reading them because they're just like, well, yeah, you're one of thousands. <laughs> you're just it. another yeah. uh, stone so in the river, man. <laughs> yeah, so it's, a, it's, it's the flip side to it. It's like it's easier to make a comic and to make your own comic than it's ever been. But it's also, I think, right yeah and you know i guess i feel that in a way i used to be in a band and it was kind of the same thing like i think when i was younger watching bands you would see these these guys and girls and you would think wow they're doing something special and then when i was doing it uh man it was probably around 2010 2012 it, it felt like we were just a group of kids like every other group of kids that was doing the exact same thing but it was so easy to find studios to record in. it was so easy to put your music on websites to get out there it was so easy to burn a cd it just it seemed like why yeah. wasn't everyone doing it you know yeah yeah so um yeah it's uh it's interesting times that we're living because um yeah um but the other thing as well is like you can actually make more money making your own comic than you can make doing a comic for you know, Marvel or DC. Oh yeah, by far. Yeah, they they pay a certain rate and they pay a certain royalty. And um, if you're an artist, you can also make money selling your original pages or mm-hmm. your cover art, which is very useful. Um, so there are people making really good money, you know, doing stuff for Marvel and DC. But you know, there's some mega money from not me, but. Some people that are making them, but then they're just making insane amounts of money every time they sort of publish something. Like, um, I have heard other people make tons of money. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's, yeah. It's, a, it's, it's open to anyone. Anyone theoretically could make a comic, bring it out, and make a huge amount of money. There's no barrier. It's just like, um, it's not a meritocracy. It's not based on what is the best comic. It's just, you know, it's like lightning in a bottle a little bit. You know, what, what happens to the imagination public it? Yeah. Um, so, uh, but yeah, if you're making your own comics, the fact that like a, a, a numpty like me can make money doing out my own independent comic and like Jack Kirby never could, I mean, that's crazy, <laughs> right? That's just nuts. But that's just the luck of the times that we live in. Uh, Jack never got the opportunities to make and publish his own comics. Uh, yeah, in, in a way that was financially viable to, to support his family. Um, right. Now, I almost feel it would be like obscene to like not grasp this opportunity to like build my own universe and promote my own public world when I've been lucky enough to live in a time where it's possible. Um, you know, and I've got one hundred to talent or something like that, Kirby, but I've got a comic that is profitable and goes out, you know, to sixty countries around the world and. You know, is is like very, very um, well reviewed and stuff, and and um, that's just a lot of luck about you know the times that I live in. So mm. I feel like it's almost seen not to grasp that 
experience just make me better. Right. And uh, I mean, you kind of touched on it, but how is it, you know, a lot of people when they write or, you know, they're making books, it seems like a very singular or linear story, but you have, it seems like you're building an entire universe uh, with uh, your, um, your book. How, like, what is it like trying to craft something more than just a single character story? Yeah, it's really interesting. Um, something I hit on straight away in order to make the very first issue was that the comic was a lot more interesting if you have like three narratives and you sort of interwove them in a really interesting way. And you have these like positions between, you know, the ending of one scene and the start of another scene and nice segues and, and uh, you know, you're kind of contrasting and uh, undercutting sometimes or making amusing comparisons between the three sort of characters in the three different narratives. And three just seems to be a really good number for that. Uh, just seems to work really well. And in, throughout this whole uh, this week, I've kind of used that technique. Um, and it works really well. It's partly where the big is kind of reviewed well. Because you can just do a lot with it. You can say a lot more. You can be a lot more. You can get a lot more depth to it. Um, it's really dramatically exciting. Because there's always something going on that's really quite, you know, building and bubbling and then exploding and, you know, one, one narrative thread will affect another one and spin that off into something even more exciting. And that's really just all about good storytelling. And I've always primarily been a writer, so I've always come at it from a long period of, like, studying writing other craft and how to tell stories and, you know, writing another medium and screenplays and things. So, so that was like a big part of the initial comic because in the first comic I was I was a writer, um, but I was also uh, prior to doing the comic I was designing characters for computer games because I'm also an artist. So I would paint and design you know, characters for different computer games, and yeah. um, so I designed the characters for my comic. And I am designing the concept art for them that also gave me the covers. So a lot of the covers of the initial run of the comic were basically my concept paintings for the characters. So, hmm. so um, and that also makes it easier to make the comic because you know, it's like I've got characters, I've got the cool characters, I've got a great story, and I've got covers that are great. So, you know, I'm already in a good position to sort of start making the comic. And then I needed a really fantastic like sequential artist who was like way better than I was at doing that. And I was very lucky that I found uh, Mike Dowling who's um, currently you know doing stuff for Spider Man and he's been doing like black and things like that. Just an incredibly talented guy and like way better at doing comics than I am. And um, he drew the first book and did an amazing job of it. It was an absolutely fantastic, you know, bit of art basically just blows me away and then he went on and you know from that book you're doing so well and doing so well you've got lots of other goods um and then uh i picked up with martin simmons who was the artist in the second and third book um and obviously martin simmons has since gone on, on the back of the second book that he got a lot of work and he's gone on to um department of truth you know um which is a really big you know, of image. So um, he again 
like you know took the very different artist to Mike, but just took the art to a different kind of place and different level. And there's things that Mike does that Martin doesn't do, and things that Martin does that Mike doesn't do. And it just it just really brings out different qualities of the story with each other. And then um, by the time we got to the middle of the third book, which is when um, uh, Martin left to do his own stuff. Um, I just I was looking around, and it's very hard to find artists that are as good as Mike and Martin, you know, <laughs> to work on an independent book that don't want to you know, do a bigger project. So at that point, I got a lot better at drawing comics rather than just doing like character designs and things and concept art. So so I thought, well, in all honesty, like the best person to finish this comic off and to do the character justice and to get the kind of acting that really want. Standards of the comic up was for me to do it. So, the last three issues and the next book, I've been doing that myself. And that again brings out like a whole nother layer of like narrative possibilities. Because if you're, you know, uh, as you've seen with many writers and artists throughout the, um, the ages, when you write and draw your own stuff, you can just be a lot more kind of sophisticated and clever with it. And you, yeah. can, you can find things on the page and do things on the page. and change the layering and, and, and just tell something in an image rather than a word, uh, the words that you're going to write and stuff, and you can just have a lot more fluid kind of fluid thing. So um, that again has taken it to like another place, which I'm really excited about, because the next book, this this uh, current book that we just did the last book that I saw was book three, and that kind of wrapped up that narrative, but the next definitely book is kind of like building on what I've been able to learn doing both things myself and just taking it to another level entirely, another place entirely, which is going to be quite exciting for the Oh, awesome. Yeah. That sounds so exciting, man. And I don't want to take too much of your time. I know you got to go soon, but I do want to ask you one last question and before we uh, start to say our goodbyes. But when you're writing, you know, these characters and you get so involved in their own stories from a writer's perspective do you ever just get to a moment where you're so frustrated because you know this is how this character is going to behave in your mind like yeah like like you know you as a person are like no this is not how i would do it but you're like man that's that's just so kevin (laughs) yeah no that's true that's very true um yeah definitely i think there's a point you're trying to bring the character to life and start you're just kind of broken around trying to find the personality and I often find I draw like I say I draw the character first and design the visual look of the character. And I always when I when I was a designer of characters, I always try and tell the story of the character's life through like their tattoos or through like the little bracelets or rings they wear or little scars they've got or, you know, certain like clothing they wear or something. You try and sort of tell the 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 life story um, in a way that's affecting their appearance and makes them feel very kind of credible and, and alive. So um, and when I'm when I'm concept designing the characters, I start to hear them talk and I start jotting down like little phrases that they'd say, <laughs> and, that, and that gives me a sort of attitude and a sort of and then that leads to sort of if they said something funny, usually they say something funny or something, you know, a little um, 
diplomatic um, in some argument with somebody about something. Uh, then that leads to a scene, and I start kind of like, you know, imagining the scene, and I write down like all the dialogue in the scene. And I just find that that's a very sort of free and loose kind of process. And then by the end of the process, where I've kind of got the first kind of button to write the first script, um, I've got all these sort of dialogue scenes and dialogue snippets. So I just go through it all and just like throw out all the crap. And that's really just a really big part of writing good stuff. It's just be a really ruthless editor of your own stuff and just like throw out all the crap. And there is a lot of crap. I mean, <laughs> 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 so if you any, any writer, no matter what they say, I mean, a lot of people try and promote themselves as these kind of like, you know, visual geniuses or something. But to me, uh, there's a lot of uh, craft to it, and a lot of it is just like reading it back in a really sort of detached way and just saying, like, that, you know, that's not good, 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 that's not good. And then you finally hit a, a scene or a moment, and you're like, wow, that is fucking awesome, you know, that's really funny. <laughs> you forgot you wrote it and it makes you laugh or something. Right. And, and, and then that's the, that's the bit you use, and that's the bit you put in the comic. And you build a scene around that, and that's how you get these like really good, kind of funny, dramatic scenes and really good characters because you're just sort of like generating a lot of material and then just picking up the golden nuggets and putting that in the comic. So um, that's that's uh, a good way of working. But you've got a, if you're making comics, you're basically doing it every day, you know, pretty much seven days a week, you know, for most of the year. Um, so uh, there's a lot of work to it, and there's a lot of, like any job, it's just like a lot of stages and a lot of getting stuff down and a lot of going through processes. But you've got to have the inspiration, you've got to have the magic. Oh, so yeah. It's important to have these kind of like loose freestyle kind of like jams with art and with writing, and then to just sort of let things flow and not really analyze it and just sort of like almost like a stream of consciousness. And then just go back to it later and edit it and just. Um, Another, another tip that I do, which is very useful, is I'll write a scene, and uh, I'm just trying to, I, I always, the way I plot things is I always know what needs to happen in each scene in order to get to the you know, final endpoint of the book, so I always know how each story's going to end, and I know, I know how it starts, so then it's like, well, how do I get from, you know, just after the end, and plot out all these little uh, steps that you need to go through, and things that need to happen, and we just get there, and make it exciting. You write those down on little kind of um, cards, and then um, you've got like a little description of what needs to happen in that scene. So when you when you uh, are doing that, you um, you basically just have to um, kind of write the uh, character, um, you know, getting from point A to point B at the end of the scene. Now, if the character's situation hasn't changed by the end of the scene, it isn't a scene. And I see that in a lot of, you know, poor quality comics and badly written stuff. It's like, there's a lot of scenes that aren't scenes because nothing's actually happened in the scene. It's just like some guy's talking or something, you know, has occurred. But there's nothing, there's no sort of dramatic moving forward of the story by the end of the scene. So that is not a proper scene. A proper scene always moves the story forward in some way, whether it's kind of emotional, whether it's character, whether it's kind of actual kind of physically acting or so, um, yeah, so you, you always trying to do that with each scene that you write. 
And what I always find when I go back and I read these things is like the first kind of like ten uh, percent of the scene and the last sort of ten percent of the scene is usually like superfluous. And like if you just sort of like read through your stuff and then you start the scene at a really dramatic time and moment, kind of like about sort of maybe sort of ten to twenty five percent into what you've written. That's a much better place to start a scene because it's always a lot more kind of dramatic. And people, uh, and then it feels like you're just kind of intruded on a real moment between characters. You know what I mean? Like you sort of over, like you see people arguing in a coffee shop or something and you sort of come in and have through the argument. But you know instantly what's going on. You can tell from the body language, you can tell from their attitude, you can tell what's, you know, what they're saying to each other. You fur a lot all the time from what you're looking at. And I find a lot of comics don't make you do that. They're just very sort of surface and they're just skeleton out for you. So, mm-hmm. so uh, coming into a scene like that a little bit later, you can get into a little bit interesting. And then also, just as soon as you hit the point where like that's the change that you're looking for in the scene, then you just end the scene. You find you find a, a nice exit, whether it's a segue or it's like a juxtaposition or it's like a a line where you end the scene and then the next scene. So, and that's really good to kind of cover the line Nice, man. Well, Mr. Monty, man, I don't want to take any more of your time. Um, yeah, I'd love to chat more because it's been great, but I've, I've got to go and pick up my daughter. So I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah, definitely. But before we go, can you let people know where they can find you, follow you on social media? Absolutely, yeah. Monty Nero, um, M-O-N-T-Y-N-E-R-O, that's on Facebook, and it's on Twitter, so uh yeah you can find me there i'd love to love to meet new people and anyone that wants to do the great comment yeah hit me up yeah awesome stuff man i want to thank you so much for coming on the show it was such a great time thank you for having me it's been awesome